Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Ben, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm slightly overwhelmed, but other than that, things are things are going well. Yeah, being a founder is no joke, man. They, they they don't tell you this, you know, the the founder school we all go to before you get things yeah. started, right? Like, yeah. Oh man. Okay. So, so so something that I real I've realized is that I think that starting any organization is the same regardless of like what the form of that organization is. So like oh, you know, it's like everybody knows that like starting a company, you sort of like roughly go through the same the same things. But I think yeah. that starting a nonprofit is the same thing. And which is also the same thing as starting an academic lab, because I know a number of people who are, are nice. starting academic labs. And it's like the yes. exact same uh, set of things where you basically have to like uh, somehow bootstrap legitimacy for this thing that has no track record. Yes. So <laughs> and, and anyway. how do you go about this? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a interesting challenge. Well, what do you think has been particularly good for you uh, in, in bootstrapping legitimacy? Um, <clears throat> I mean, good for me. Uh, like, I think that having written a, an obscenely long uh, piece about my entire thought process yeah. has actually been pretty good for, for bootstrapping legitimacy. Nice. Um, in the sense of, uh, like, I've clearly at least thought through what I'm doing. <laughs> um, right. And I, I clearly, uh, I might be wrong about it but i I clearly like have i'm I'm not just like making things up um i think that's yeah no this is a thing i think about all the time is like how to bootstrap legitimacy um yeah i don't know coming on your podcast right (laughs) yeah yeah, doing doing the podcast tour you know like uh yeah getting your name up beside some different folks that have done some good stuff and yeah, yeah. Writing your ideas down seems to be important. Um, writing online, I think that's a really powerful mechanism. Definitely, yeah. definitely. The the thing the thing that I would say about writing online, writing specifically online, specifically as opposed to generically, like writing gotcha. things that are like very much like oh, like you're the person who wrote that thing uh, that had like this very particular opinion, right? Is good. Also, just really truly, it's it's um, once you can get a couple of people to be excited about what you're doing, it's like leveraging that, right? So it's like right. the like finding finding program managers by getting like one researcher in a field to take you seriously, and then they like introduce you to other people, and then like that's how you bootstrap legitimacy. Definitely, definitely. No, I, I think that that makes it. Uh, that's a that's a great segue for the audience. Uh, ben, can you talk a little bit about what you're building? It's really really exciting. Yes, sorry, I think I got ahead of myself. Um, so so I'm building a organization called Speculative Technologies. We're a nonprofit research organization uh, modeled after after ARPA, um, and the the sort of uh, mandate 
that I've set out for us is to build new paradigms in materials and manufacturing. Um, that's that's sort of like the one liner about it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And um, I I know you spend a lot of time going to conferences, exploring manufacturing uh, and, and new technologies around material science. Um, was there an aha moment when you realized there's a lot we can do here that we have not done yet as a species? I'm not sure if there was an like I'm not sure if there was an aha moment around that. Can I can I tell you what there was an aha yes, moment yes, around? Absolutely. So so the, the aha moment around was was like um that like in in basically all domains there are things that we could be doing that we're not doing. Right. right. So so the trick is 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 less to figure out where you can do things that you that people aren't doing, but to na- almost like narrow it down. So the right. aha moment was around the fact that we should be focusing on materials and manufacturing. Um, and that came from this sort of the, like, basically crystallizing the the opinion um, that, again, many people may disagree with me on this, that the, like, biggest uh, sort of, like, social and economic effects of technologies are all second-order effects. Um and the and, and I can I can dig into that, but then the the technologies that are like most likely to create second order effects are materials and new manufacturing processes. Like every gotcha. time we create one of those, there's these this like ripple of second order effects um, that happen out in the world. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, the, the example I that I, I point to the most is is um, how. You know, a couple of decades ago, like um, not really not too long ago, uh, uh, overpopulation was an existential threat to humanity, right? Like you have the population bomb and yeah. you have basically people worried about this this exponential uh, number of people um, leading to uh, starvation and a cascade of effects that, you know, it's like migrations that would uh, destabilize even developed countries and, and you know, like really bad things for humanity. Um, and if you look around the world today, uh, we, we passed uh, the 8 billionth person in the world not too long ago and like not to, to not that much fanfare. Right. Um, and that's because overpop- like overpopulation just like isn't a thing we worry about. Um, and that is in large part thanks to the fact that uh, we invented the Haber-Bosch process, which lets us fix nitrogen from the air and create much more fertilizer than we could uh, just using natural fertilizers. Um, we figured out how to do some amount of genetic engineering. So you had the whole green revolution um, and, and many plants and crops that are much more productive. And then more generally, like uh, we create a lot of technology that have made people a lot more wealthy, which uh, if tends to make people have fewer kids. Um, so between the, the three of those, these like second order effects of technologies, uh, this, this existential threat uh, was, was no longer a problem. Um, so that's, that's like the classic one. And then we can like point to like all these other things, right? Like, you know, it's like, uh, we don't really like whales are doing a lot better uh, in large part because we use electricity and natural gas instead of whale oil. Um, our cities are no longer covered in uh, in soot, not because we got made really good technology for cleaning soot off of buildings, but because uh, again, we don't use coal for heating uh, and powering factories anymore. Um, 
right? Like, and, and like, I mean, everybody points to uh, the ways in which, you know, like computers have sort of like reconfigured society. Um, right. So anyway, well, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. Um, but it's all, uh, all, all sort of like the, the social and economic effects are, are second order uh, effects yeah. that were very hard to predict in the first place. Gotcha. And, and so these positive second order effects, um, it, it sounds like you, you either think uh, too many people are focusing on software and, and not enough people are focusing on manufacturing and material science. Is that correct? Or is it just higher le- leverage to um, humanity to focus on manufacturing and material science? Um, or both? I'm not sure if it's a, like I, I don't know the balance of like number of absolute number of people. Um, right. but I think that right now there is a lot of work, like the, the work itself, like I, I can't think of a lot of work in, um, well, even actually ever since that even, um, there's, there's even a lot of work in, in, uh, in computer science that's not being done. I just think that there, there is like a particularly large amount of work that's not being done in, materials and manufacturing sort of because of, of, uh, institutional constraints. Um, gotcha. And so, and like, that's where, where I see sort of like my highest leverage point being, Makes sense. um, you know, it's like, I, I, yeah. Uh, can you talk about like, uh, what are, what are those in- institutional drag factors that you've noticed, um, that prevent people from, uh, making more innovation in these spaces? So, Let's see. Let's. We, I, I guess what I like to do is like walk through the different institutions that we sort of have yeah. that that are that are responsible for uh, that that we would hope are doing this. Um, so, in in academia, a lot of the incentives are around doing new things, like really, really, like, and especially new ideas, and like showing that that a new idea is feasible. Um, gotcha. So people will will come up with like w- with a new material, right? Or they'll come up with like uh, one piece of a manufacturing process, and then they'll say, "Okay, we did it. I wrote my paper. I'm done. Ta-da. Like let, let's." And then uh, if they try to do sort of like build on it, uh, reviewers are like, "Well, like," and and their peers are like, "Well, this has been done. This is not this is not new. Why why right. why are you doing this?" Um, and so what it does is it creates things that like are completely unscalable uh, or, or not that they're unscalable, but they require a lot more work to scale. Um, you, you'll see this all, all over the place where we're scaling uh, like materials and manufacturing processes often requires as much research as inventing them in the first place. Ah, um, so, so that work is not being done in academia. Um, and then, or you get a situation where you have a whole bunch of components. Um, and, and again, you need to do just as much research to put those components together into a functional system uh, as you do to, to invent the components in the first place. So that's, that's Makes academia uh, to, then we we think about startups, um, and like startups are really great mechanisms for uh, scaling things that you know how to scale, and building products and selling things to customers, right? Um, and and like 
that's that is a great thing uh but the kind of work that that i was describing um is is still really research there's like really sort of fundamental uncertainties in there um and so it just like does not make a good investment uh both because of the levels of uncertainty not just about like whether it will work but whether it will like turn into a product <laughs> even um or like something that you can cap and and additionally the type of work uh that you need to do is often um creates public goods whether you like it or not in the sense of right. like uh if there's if you think of there's being like some very large design space um then like the work w- once you say like okay like this point in design space is the right point everybody else can copy that but it might take right. ye- like many years and millions of dollars to to find that point and like that is that's like the opposite of a moat <laughs> that's like right, an, exactly. an anti-moat um yes and then and so like between those things and just like the time scales and amount of money involved and the amount of value you can capture um it means that like doing this work is just not well suited for uh, a venture capital backed startup um right and then we might turn to industrial labs uh as as sort of a third and final institution um and you know it's like th- this work was at uh, in the past done by industrial labs like bell labs the you know um your your classic example um but sort of due to uh a combination of of uh restructuring of the industry and like a lot of outsourcing of r&d to startups um partially because of that um partially because of just increased uh uh investor expectations from the public markets um and and third just in terms of like the the companies that sort of have the 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 slack to do really sort of speculative work being primarily software companies now um you don't have uh companies doing this sort of work especially when it would sort of go contrary to their main product line so so they'll do research when it's like okay like this this will like augment our main product line but when it's something like okay we're gonna like reinvent the process by which we make this thing like they have no incentive to do that so those that that is a very long explanation of why this sort of work has does not have a home in any institution right now right that makes sense and how difficult has it been been to convince like philanthropy and funders to um fund it, it because um it makes sense, right? There, there's no place that does this right now. And it's like, it, it, it is speculative. It's speculative. It's in the name, right? It's speculative technologies. <laughs> it's like, I, we're not sure we're going to find something. We'll probably find something out there. We're not exactly sure what it's going to be. Um, you know, you know how it's like, that sounds like a difficult pitch. You know, I just finished fundraising and it was pretty hard to fundraise. And we had this pretty, pretty concrete thing where we're, we're selling, you know what I mean? It sounds like a pretty difficult thing to go out there and do, but you've been successful at it. Can you talk about that process at all? And, and, and how you think you made that work? Yeah, I would say I've been uh, somewhat successful. I mean, I like I need to be more successful in order to to sort of achieve achieve our goals. Let's let's call a spade a spade. Um, I, I mean, right now, uh, our funding has come from very generous donors who kind of get it already. Yeah, right. Like it was not because they did not give us money because I convince them 
that this was a problem worth addressing. Um, gotcha. I like that. That is the, the, I would, I would actually say like, that's sort of like the biggest next thing that I need to do is really like start trying to convince people of this. Gotcha. Um, and so, so, so in that sense, it was a matter of finding, uh, funders who already realized that this was, this was an issue worth tackling. Um, and doing the slightly easier uh, argument of like the way that the way that I'm proposing to tackle it has a chance of succeeding. Gotcha. Um, Makes and sense. So, so, so that's what they're betting on. Makes sense. So, so you start with initial. I, I think there's a good lesson here, though. Initially, you start with a group of core people who are sympathetic to what you're building, yeah. and you, you come to them and say, "Hey, like I've got this really good plan to go out there and try and solve this." Uh, you know, what do you think about this plan? Like, would you be interested in, in, you know, supporting this? And then you bootstrap to start convincing people as you build success over time. Yeah. I assume, I assume it's similar to, to building a startup, right? Like you're going to go, yeah. the, your, your initial customers are going to be the ones that like get it. Exactly. And then once, once they start sort of like having a lot of success and get, getting the testimonials, then maybe you'll start to convince other people who right now are skeptical, but like then once you show them momentum, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You've got these early adopters, right. And then, and then you can move into like the, the more general public over time as you yeah, exactly. are successful. See, see building, building <laughs> things, it like building new organizations is the same <laughs> regardless of the domain. <laughs> this is very wise. It's a wise observation. I think this is, it's definitely on the money. Um, so I've been out of my curiosity. I, I, I want to know, how are you thinking about finding program managers? And can you talk about what the program manager role looks like? They are program managers, right? That's the right, I'm using the right term there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that that's exactly the right title. Um, Yeah. That that may change in the future, but like DARPA calls them program managers. That seems like a reasonable name. So the problem with it is that uh, you, they're, they're PMs. Um, You also have product Product. managers and project managers. Um, and yes. all three of these roles are are wildly different. Um, yes. So uh, anyway, how do I go about finding them? So the question is, is how do I go about finding them? So so can you describe uh, the role, and then yeah, we can talk yeah, about yeah. you know like ideal who you know who slots in there and yeah. Like that. Uh, so the the role is effectively to be kind of like the mini. CEO of a specific of a of a program and what i mean by a program is a roughly 5 year thing like 5 year thing um that starts off by doing um a lot of of planning around basically like what uh what projects need to happen within this program umbrella? Who's going to be doing those pro- those projects? Like, why are we doing this whole thing in the first place? What's going to happen at the end of this thing? Um, and like, you know, what are the risks? Um, I right now our rough framework is is trying to to first like go through and answer the the questions in the Hellmeyer Catechism, which is uh, like, what are you trying to do? Describe it with zero jargon. To um, how is it done today? Uh, I, I may be mixing up the order on these. Uh, three, um, 
what what is new and what you're trying to do. Uh, four, who cares? Five, what are the risks? Six, uh, how long will it take? And seven, how much will it cost? Um, I may have missed one. We could put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like just roughly answer those questions. Anyway, so like you plan it, and then the the program manager's job is to like figure that out, and then figure out like who at other organizations we could work with, um, give money to in order to work on separate projects that all sort of like have to work together towards building, you know, a, a final, a final goal. Um, so that's the role. Um, and then the way that I go about finding them, frankly, is mostly some combination of telling people I know, like, Hey, <laughs> I'm looking for people who might have really ambitious and good program ideas. Yes. Introduce them to me. Um, and then two, kind of having a very like rough sense of, of a program that might, might fit into the organization. Um, you know, reading, reading a bunch of papers in that area and then contacting the authors and being like, Hey, I read your paper. Uh, I'm really interested in like, you know, just like what you think about this more broadly. Do you think that there's room for a program there? And then, if they're like, oh yeah, like there there might be room for for a program there, then I'm like, oh cool. Like, do you know anybody who might be really great at uh, at running that? And then you know, it's like they'll introduce me to other people. It's like, and then point me to other papers, and then you wash, rinse, and repeat. Makes sense. Makes sense. And are there any characteristics you found that make people successful in these types of roles? Are they kind of like? insider outsiders like uh you know do they like they know the field well but they're not exactly they fit the mold of like your average like person who who ends up as a tenure professor at in academia what kind of characteristics these people have yeah so so like full disclosure i'm still figuring this out (laughs) so i I can tell you something like tbd i'll I'll tell you my current height no i can tell you my current hypotheses i just yeah like want this to to like like have like high epistemic uncertainty about what yes. I'm about to say. Um, so I think what it, so whenever someone's doing one of these programs, it's going to be like broader than any one person can have done, but the, the, they should have like some strong experience in like at least one piece of what the program will be. Um, I see. They need to have done like some amount of like, real physical research um and so what i what i say is like they don't need to have a phd but you need to have done something like like that right where you're like spe- like like you know what it is like to suffer while trying to get the like real world to yield up its secrets um and doing something that nobody's ever done before right so it's like yeah y- you don't that that's that's like um pretty hard requirement um, and then, uh, beyond that, it like, it, it's, it's, there's like, I'm, it's like, it's like some combination of like curiosity, but like the, the, the curiosity of a scientist and, and critical thinking of, of a scientist com- combined with like the, the hustle of a, and the hustle and ambition of a startup founder with like a giant dash of epistemic humility is kind nice. of like the the general recipe. Um, That's awesome. That sounds hard to find. So, 
Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> not impossible, which is good. You know, not not possible. Yeah. But like, like uh, it sounds is is most of your job into will it end up being recruiting at the end of the day? I I think so. I mean, unless unless uh, you know someone that ends up being someone else's job, um, yeah. right? Like, and, that's, and again, similar other things that are the same with startups, um, right? Like at the end of the day, the founder's job ends up being just like recruiting and fundraising uh, for right. the most part, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I would estimate that there's like under ten thousand of these people in the world. Like that's, gotcha. that's kind of like my rough. Yeah. That sounds about right. My rough hunch. Yeah. It's much yeah. better than a thousand though. It is much better than a thousand. I, I yeah. suspect there's more than a thousand and, and I suspect to some extent it can be trained. Like I, I, I don't, so? yeah, I think, and that's, that's kind of like the hope with building a new institutional structure, right? Is that like, at first, the only people that you can get are the ones who, like, through some set of luck, are, like, good for that institution. But eventually, like, institutions kind of generate people who are are good for them. Like, yes. I don't know, like, I would, I would argue that because startups became such a big thing, there are more people who would make good founders in the world than, right. than there were like in the 1980s yeah matt matt clifford talks about that you know what do uh his question always is in in a given country what do the ambitious people do if you're in singapore yeah yeah, yeah, civil service or something like that and then perhaps one day in in ben reinhardt stand you know people go and they become program managers that's that's what (laughs) i i I agree with i agree with matt on most like by default i agree with matt on things so (laughs) (laughs) smart guy smart guy yeah exactly i love that exactly Um, that's cool. Uh, so Ben, uh, other than fundraising and, and recruiting and, and everything and, and trying to do everything all at once, which, you know, building new works is, uh, you know, what is the single biggest challenge you face so far uh, that if you could ma- wave your magic wand and alleviate, um, what would that be? Besides, besides fundraising and recruiting. Um, yeah. Mm, I have to go like pretty far down my, uh, <laughs> my, my, my priority list. Let's biggest yeah. challenge. I mean, so like, uh, I guess like an interesting, like this is, this is not particularly, uh, and I guess kind of is tied to those and, and is like a broader question of like, how do you know that research is good? Uh, like, mm. like, like that, like that challenge, oh, right. Which is like both sounds incredibly philosophical, but then is also like, like how will we, like the question of like, how will we know when, when we're successful? Right. Like what, what does that, what will that actually look like? Um, and then the, on top of that, uh, is, is there any way to get leading indicators of the fact that, that we're, we're doing good work, right? Yes. Cause it's like, you can see throughout history, like both like inventors and scientists who, who don't see, the impact of their work for until after they're dead. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's like, that, that is both hard to, to course correct on and, uh, also hard to convince other people that we're doing a good job. If that's the case. Yes. Um, so, so really trying to figure out like, how do you, how do you judge yourself? Um, 
is is I think a big challenge. That is that it's a huge it, it's a huge challenge in the the research space. I, have you do you have any sense of like uh, how to go about you know measuring these things? You know, I talked to Don Braben a long time ago. He had some way of doing yeah. which I cannot quite recall. Just checking in with people and if they're still like following interesting paths or something. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, right now, right now, the 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 hunch we're acting off of is is sort of tied up in these roadmaps of like here's our our hypothesis about like what the the things that we would want to hit in order to achieve this technology and sort of like almost like really going deep on not necessarily a justification but like a reasoning behind all of it to ourselves so you can say like okay like we think that this technology is worth building because it will have like these general purpose uh because like it will have like these general purpose uses. Um, you could potentially imagine a future where, where it could, people could do this. And then like, here are the biggest risks and the things that we'd need to do to, uh, uh, show that these are not risks are like X, Y, Z. Um, and so it's, it's almost like kind of just building up this like really big causal chain. Um, and, I think at some point you sort of just need to say like, okay, like, are we executing on this causal chain? Yes. No. How are things going? Um, But, but I think it's really hard. And and it's like, I might almost push back against the idea of like measurement per se. Got it. Um, In the sense that like, I think that, that it measurement involves like somehow making like a universal a, like a universally transferable uh sense of something yes and and i think almost again this is this is not uh something that that many people would agree with but i think that a thing that we've lost and that we need to do is kind of build like these like chains of trust where it's like okay like the like i build up trust with a program manager they build up trust with scientists um, the scientists build up trust with each other and then like get everybody to be really honest and just sort of say like, uh, it, like, is this, is this working? Is this stupid? Um, right. And go from that. And it's like, that's, I realize like deeply unsatisfying to everybody, including myself. But I, I, I think like, I think this is, is a thing that has sort of been lost and like on the margin, uh, we need to do more. Well, it does seem like a, a lot is lost if you just get obsessed with the free rider problem and you're, you know, and, and, and all you're trying to track is not getting, you, you know, like on the margin, someone running off with the the, the money or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, well, the optimal <laughs> number of crackpots and not mods is, non, is not zero. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it's something like, so if we're, we're talking about uh, Matt Clifford, uh, earlier and and one of the things he mentioned on on how he can identify one of his startups and entrepreneur first is doing really well is the number of positive surprises that uh yeah. you know like the frequency do you think something like that might 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 work as, as well it's yeah. not like so much that you know hard metrics but wow like interesting things are happening quickly yeah i, I think that's probably a good one and another one so 
I'm not sure if you know this. I, I actually worked for Matt. Um, really? No way. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I worked for Matt in um, in 2019. Uh, oh, I worked no at way. Entrepreneur awesome. First in Singapore. So That's I was awesome. like intimately involved in this question of like, how do we know if nice. if uh, if founders are doing well? Yeah. Um, so and, cool. and so like another another sort of like leading indicator that actually was was pretty strong was like just like. Uh, like how much they get done. Um, Interesting. And I'm actually, yeah, like now that you bring that up, like I think that that's actually a pretty good indicator, even in science. Um, Sorry, not science, but like in like technology research. Because I I think I want to exclude... The kind of like Einstein going off and like spending 12 years figuring out general relativity, right? Yeah. So it's like there definitely are domains where uh, you want to see people just like, like it is possible for people to just go off and solve for Ma's last theorem or whatever, yeah. you know, in, in a room. Um, I don't think that we're there. I think that what you want to see when you're doing kind of experimental building focused research is still just like, Oh, like tried this, didn't work. Doing this other thing, I had this idea. I like, I executed on it. It was a bad idea, right? Like, you want to see that that iteration speed, and it doesn't necessarily mean like pivoting. It just means like, like some some like level of activity. Um, yes, a lot's happening. So, Matt, so Matt Friedman it, described this to me as um, he said, "Will, you've got like a a very low powered flashlight, and you're running around in a dark room looking for treasure." And the only thing you could, lever you have is moving around faster. It's like yeah. that's how you should think about finding product market fit, which is maybe related. Yeah, I think it's it's not it's like not quite it's not exactly the same the, yeah. the, the same analogy, but I think that there really is something to just like doing smart things like and, and like I almost think that like planning planning itself can be a, one of those things yes. that you're doing right so if you're like Absolutely. like I wrote down like these five possible scenarios and like ruled like these two out and talk to these two people about them right yes I would look at that and say like oh yeah like that's that's great that's good absolutely um, I, I, I think not just flailing the, about or something yeah look, an analogy um that uh that Peter van he- Hennenberg, I'm butchering his name, he runs Ink and Switch, gave me uh, that I loved is this term uh, building rudder, which is from boating, which I don't do at all. But like, unless you have uh, like water jets on the front of your boat, you can't turn unless you're moving. Um, Uh, Right. So so like in order to be able to change direction in a boat, you need to move at all. So it's like something around that. That's really good. It's really That's important. Really but but at the same time, like, right, like, it, it's like, but the, the, the tension there is like, how do you, like, what what is, what is like good action versus like flailing action, right? Yes. Um, and, and that, that I don't know how to, how to discriminate that. Maybe it's like obscenity. You kind of know it when you see it or something like that, which <laughs> yeah, is not, not yeah, helpful, I, but like to describe <laughs> on a podcast, but perhaps it's true. Yeah, I think so. I think I but but like I'm I'm kind of optimistic and confident that if we pay attention, uh it it might be possible to come up with like better theories about um gotcha. about how that works. What's making people successful? 
Um, yeah. Ben, Ben, you're, you're a super smart guy. Well, why pick this problem in particular? I've realized I've never asked um, you this. Oh. You know, like, you get a lot of options, right? You know, you, you, you can yeah, be a PC, or, you I know, mean, all kinds of different it, stuff, but this is appealing. I, well, yeah. So, like, the really honest answer is because yeah. I want there to be more awesome sci-fi shit in the world. That's awesome. <laughs> Like, like that's that's Love actually it. it um it, it's like that that uh, that's what i want to happen and it's like i i've managed to convince myself that this is the best way that like i given personally can do it like given my set of of skills can can try to to make that happen that's um, great frankly I love that. yeah i love that i love that <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> there's nothing more profound uh <laughs> profound to it no, that's great. That's great. And, and for you personally, are there any technologies you are super jazzed about that you think have just been overlooked? I mean, my my sort of big one is is uh, general purpose telerobotics. So nice. basically, the the possibility of through some system you could imagine like putting on a headset and going yeah. into some contraption, basically being able to seamlessly act through a robot anywhere in the world um and nice. so the reason for that is some combination of uh a belief that i think like automation at like general purpose automation is going to be much harder than many people think it is um and the fact that it is it's not just sort of like automation but is actually like allows people to effectively teleport um so like pretty cool something that that really would excite me is like a a scientific lab where you basically have collaborators all over the world working uh together 24 7 so you have like different shifts based on different places in the world and everybody just is like seamlessly handing off um and that's just like really not even something that people are thinking about automating anytime soon but is is like uh yeah so anyway that's 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 one um i like that and, and you said something interesting there that you know general purpose automations could be much harder than people realize um I, we were talking to a, a facebook uh email engineer he works in automation you know general purpose automation or he did um at the time and that's one of the things he mentioned as well is like you don't realize how hard a lot of this stuff is um and, and we see that even with self-driving cars it seems like they're always you know perennially five years away or something yeah and it, it, you know maybe, maybe we're getting there now yeah i'm 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 kind of bullish on the cars you know it's like you can you can ride around in san francisco in a cruise car that's true um maybe like not like yeah i don't know how well it'll go from city to yeah. city but like um but in terms of like the robotics automation problem, yeah, I think so. Just hard, just really hard. Again, like I, I <laughs> this is a, a thing. I don't know. I get into arguments about this on Twitter sometimes. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, it's like people people who have have some amount of training in an area are often the like the most the the, the ones who are like the least able to predict a, a paradigm shift. So you know, right. it's like. I, I I could be completely wrong about this, but it's just like I don't I don't see the mechanism by which a lot of the advances that we're seeing in uh, AI on computers, yeah. um, which really depends on like truly obscene amounts of data, um, right. I don't see that 
translating into the physical world um, without some some sort of discovery about how to do things differently. Gotcha. Something like, uh, I think you mentioned this to me, but uh, when we were having coffee, but uh, something where there just isn't the same data layer that we have for text for the real world. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, um, yeah, we just don't, it's like literally everything that goes on in a computer can become data for training, uh, for, for training like a large language model or something, but we don't have anything like that in the real world. Right. So it's like, so um hopefully i'm wrong right right <laughs> but um, that'd be great that'd be great yeah and, and so so do you think um do you think the effect of large language models are being somewhat overrated right now like for the next 10 years of human productivity i i think it so i i, I think like now we're going beyond my my zone the of competence of but like that's fair i think i think like the, the thing that i would say is like i, I think like my my sort of what I want to make is a very scoped claim, which is that like, I think that the effect of large language models on doing things outside of a computer um, is going to be limited. I think like that's, that's sort of my, like inside of a computer. I, I have, I have no way of, I know I have no way of knowing. Um, Gotcha. Great to so, know. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that makes. I think that makes sense, and it directionally uh, jives with with my thoughts. Um, ben, I I, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, Speculative Technologies. <laughs> it, it's been a ton of fun. Speculative Technologies. Uh, what can the audience do? Are you looking for anybody? And are you trying to recruit for anything? Uh, is there anything we can help uh, you with? Yeah, Single I mean, base. like very very concretely, if you know anybody who <laughs> wants to donate, <laughs> that's Absolutely. that's always always appreciated. Definitely. Um, always looking for good program managers if if there is a some technology that is currently bottlenecked in materials or manufacturing that you think could be really big if true um get in touch um but Definitely. yeah and just sort of spread the word um when Gospel. when this airs the the website should be live that'll be great uh, do you have a domain for it yet yes it is spec.tech Perfect. Love it. Love it. That's easy. That's <laughs> or, or, easy. or speculative technologies.org. I think gotcha. both of them redirect. Awesome. Love that. I love that. Well, Ben, yeah. thank you so much for coming on again. Really appreciate thank it. You. Thank you for having me, Will. It is always a pleasure. Definitely. Special thanks to our sponsor, Bismarck Analysis, for the support. Bismarck Analysis creates the Bismarck Brief a newsletter about intelligence-grade analysis of key industries, organizations, and live players. You can subscribe to Bismarck Brief at brief.bismarckanalysis.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives. Special thanks to Donovan Dorrance, our audio editor. You can check out Donovan's work and music at donovandorrance.com.